Welcome to the Build the Future podcast. We put exciting and positive visions of the future from those who are helping build it. Today, we're talking with Larry Penning, the head of BizDev at IOTEX, a decentralized ecosystem building the Internet of Things. We cover all things crypto and decentralization, and of course, the Internet of Things. Let's jump right in. Great to meet you. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to come on. I'm excited to hear all that's going on in your world. Absolutely excited to be here and share exciting times for crypto, right? Um, both for IOTEX and for the industry in general. So excited to just uh, add a little color to what we see from our position. Before we dive into the crypto space, like outside of crypto, outside of blockchain, outside of IoT, what are you most excited about for the future? What am I most excited for the future outside of crypto? Outside of crypto. <laughs> It's kind of like the new modern age, you know, the way that people interact is just different these days. You know, I was talking to someone this weekend about just the difference between the way that millennials and Gen Z grew up. And, you know, it, it's fun to talk about and be like comparing TikTok trends and stuff to like where we grew up on. But it, it really is different, right? Having all this information in a library on your phone anytime you want. You know, I grew up like my, my friends kind of make fun of me for not knowing facts about the real world. Like, you know, uh, a lot of traveled people are my friends and they're like, hey, how do you not know this about this country? It's like, well, I mean, I've never been there. I never really had the need to know. And I couldn't just whip up my phone and figure it out uh, with a few keystrokes. So the information era, but also the misinformation era, right? So it's just a weird dynamic, like people subscribing to different information spheres, so I think that's all still panning out, right? So it's really going to take a couple generations to see where this really comes from, but uh, or goes to, rather. It seems like we're kind of in the heat of this, this transition, right? From this world where, you know, everyone has all the information they need, like, immediately accessible. And that causes a lot of the uh, existing institutions to uh, get very, very frustrated or very, very concerned because they're no longer the gatekeepers of information. Like the pandemic was a catastrophe, but also hilarious seeing our elected officials or our news outlets try and kind of maintain the narrative as if they were the only ones who had access to the information that was actually happening on the ground. Yeah, it's kind of like the Twitter crowd that tries to make grand claims outside of their domain or like grand predictions outside their domain. Yeah, we live in a time where it's very difficult to know who to trust and why to trust, right? Blockchain helps, doesn't solve it, but like, you know, blockchain is going to help in the future. But, you know, blockchains are only good as the data you put on them. So that's something we at IOTEX really believe wholeheartedly. We're working on that for IoT data, real world data. So, yeah, I think we all have a part to play here, right? So fascinating times, though. Fascinating world we live in, for sure. How do you see kind of the the blockchain adoption kind of rolling out from here right now it's a lot of like lots of talents flooding into the space a lot of capitals flooding into the space what's in the pipeline that you're excited about in and out of the context of, of iotex i think that the best use case for blockchain so far is having everyday people make eight percent on their income right right <laughs> like introducing this to my parents and like people that's to me like what really got everyone into crypto it's not the fancy jpegs like there's people in the industry and in the know that love this stuff like myself, but like 8% on your assets through FTX up to 10 K and then it drops down to 6%. You know, that's a dream for most people. I remember, you know, 
Gensler from the SEC got on some video and was saying like, you know, if you save $5 a week and you make 8% on it, it's like, where are you getting 8% on this? Like, so, you know, so laissez-faire, like, you know, so I think that's, first of all, is the biggest draw to crypto, but just like yield farms and just like any incentives, those things won't last forever, right? Those are the top of funnel, get them in. And I think what's going to keep them in is this whole concept of the creator economy, right? It's so funny how like, you know, trends in crypto change, not just month by month now, it's kind of week by week, right? You know, NFTs had its day, then it was kind of the meta, then it was DAOs, and then it was the metaverse. And somewhere in between there, people were really gung-ho about the creator economy. And I think the creator economy is just another way for people to monetize what they're good at without having to jump through kind of loopholes or be filtered by the company that they work for, right? So that's another very empowering thing. I love reading tweets from people that say, hey, you know, I used to be a stay-at-home mom, didn't have a job, and now I'm running an NFT project and changed my life forever, right? So it's kind of it's kind of these kind of ways that people can be expressing themselves through through blockchain, not in like a rigid structure, like do this and then get that, but using this to interact with people. It's a very deep rabbit hole to get there. But yeah, I wonder what's in between the earn 8% on your assets all the way down to, you know, trying to create your own um, creator profile, right? But yeah, like on, on that, it's super cool just to see millions of people who are now feeling empowered to go do something on their own. They realize like, oh, I can go pick up a project. Oh, I can be a part of this digital asset community. Like however people get pulled into the crypto space. I mean, yeah, the 8% is fantastic for a lot of, I don't know if normies is the right word, but like people who are not like super into kind of this libertarian decentralization ideology of like, oh, sweet, we're going to separate from the state. Then we're going to go build new charter cities and we're going to go, you know, set up a DAO and build our own city in Wyoming. Which is actually a pretty pretty sick uh, DAO project. It is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like like a cool use of kind of this this coordination mechanism. Yeah, there's so many layers to it. You know, it'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds. But we're we're getting to exciting times again. It's starting to you know we're getting past the historically shittiest month for stocks in crypto, September, right? And we're coming into Q4. People are going home for the holidays, talking to their families. I wonder how those <laughs> conversations are going to go this year. You know what I mean? Yeah, because this year we have something to show. Last year was like the kind of coming off the tail end of DeFi summer. I'm trying to explain DeFi summer to the people at your Thanksgiving table. That must be like a, a doozy, right? But, you know, this year is going to be NFTs a little easier to explain. So I think every year it's just going to get a little easier to explain. And that's that's gonna that's what's really gonna drive adoption, I think, for sure. Everyone at home shilling their NFTs are like, oh, hey, look at this... Uh... It's this Nian cat that I got or uh, the Doge. It's cool though, because because it is something people can pull up on their phones and say, hey, look at look at this stuff. Or I don't know, the the other one that's really fascinating to me right now is like Yield Guild and like the ability for people to go play games, own the assets, and then actually make money from the games they play. It's very, uh, you know, RuneScape 2005, 2010-esque, but you own all the dragon armor and the whatever the hell else that you can sell and, and make a profit from. Yeah, that's another big like top of funnel draw, right? Like IOTEX, we just launched, not we, but someone just launched on our platform, a game called Star Crazy. And it's sim very similar to Axie, except, you know, the fusion techniques are different. The tokenomics are different. Of course, the art and uh, the graphic design is different. But 
these are great ways for people to get to know this play to earn model, right? We're in the stage of blockchain where people are doing things in the digital world to earn digital assets and digital reputation, right? If I could summarize like what IOTEX is really trying to do, at least for the next year and a half, what we're trying to get people to do is do things in the real world to earn digital assets and digital reputation. And that's through connecting the blockchain to these real world devices. And these real world devices are kind of like oracles that are telling the blockchain things, right? Blockchains are stupid until you make them smart. Right. This is why Chainlink, you know, providing a single version of the truth about what the price of a Bitcoin is or what the price of one USDT is, that's enabling all these lending, borrowing, collateralization, DeFi stuff on top of that single version of the truth, right? What we see is if we can tell the blockchain, we can educate the blockchain about things that happen in the real world, like where I was at a specific point in time, or you know what the temperature was in a certain region, or you know data from my wearable, data from my home, my, my vehicle, then we can live to earn. It doesn't have to be playing to earn. You just do things like you would in your normal life, or even better, you get incentivized to change your behavior in a way from like an insurance company or something. And then you earn assets in the form of cryptocurrency or reputation in the form of like on-chain identity, right? So that's how we see the evolution. I think there's a lot of interesting intersections with how like data from the real world can be applied to all the things we talked about already, NFTs, DeFi, and even like gaming, right? Uh, we also have a game coming out. We have a device called Pebble Tracker. It does like GPS data and it makes it available to smart contracts. And we're using that GPS data to mint NFTs. Tell me more about that. Like, what does the data look like that you're pulling in on, on like the Pebble? Yeah. So IOTEX, we have like two devices, right? One of them is called UCAM. UCAM was um, launched in September 2020, won the CES Innovation Award for cybersecurity and personal privacy. And it uses blockchain as this identity. And, you know, we basically allow everyone to own the videos from their cameras exclusively. It's not just blockchain, but it's also a combination of edge computing and end-to-end -end encryption. But this is kind of a camera that allows people to own their privacy. Selling on Amazon, there's about 8,000 units sold globally, which is awesome. But this is the next device that we have. It's called Pebble Tracker. I'm not sure if I can get it into focus, but... This is kind of like a developer uh, case, but it comes with a nice sleek black enclosure. But this is a really interesting device and it does exactly the things that I was telling you about. It not only captures a bunch of different types of data, it has a GPS sensor, climate sensor that does temperature, humidity, air quality, motion sensor, and a light sensor. So it really gives you a 360 view of whatever asset this thing's kind of attached to, person, dog, package, vehicle, even stationary in the corner of your room as like a smoke detector, right? But most importantly, it signs that data using this secure element here. Same one in your phone that does your biometrics, same one in your ledger device that protects your spending credentials. We use this to hold a decentralized identity and sign the data as it's being captured with that decentralized identity. The reason why this is so important is like I was saying earlier, you put crap data on a blockchain, the results downstream is going to be crap, right? So you need to provide and educate the blockchain with data that's verifiable before you can trust it to be used in anything, right? It's kind of like if the price of Bitcoin is not right and you're building lending and borrowing contracts on top of it, <laughs> you're going to have to unwind all of that to, you know, to get to the bottom. So 
Yeah, this is really interesting. You know, we're I'm really bullish on the GPS data on chain. You can do things like if this, then that, right? If I show up to an event at a specific place at a specific time, I can prove that verifiably to a smart contract. Then I can get a limited edition NFT or I can get a payment or I can automate another workflow, right? So it's really just a real world data source that's going to unlock an entirely new category of use cases for blockchain. Some of them are going to be more fun and gamified in the beginning, but there's also a lot of serious builders building with this Pebble Tracker device. The U.S. Navy signed a signed a partnership with one of our delegates named Consensus Networks. They signed a one and a half million dollar contract to build medical supply chain on IOTEX using Pebble Tracker as well. So across the board, you know, from minting fun NFTs to literally providing military grade security and benefits to organizations like the Navy, you know, this is what the scope of blockchain is these days. So when people ask us, you know, what are we focused on? It's hard to give a straight answer. We're just Focus on this horizontal of telling the blockchain about the real world, right? I'm curious to get your take on the you know, supply chain challenges around like hardware manufacturing right now. How are you guys thinking about navigating this? Yeah, we raised a crowdfund for this Pebble Tracker device uh, starting in February. This is a very challenging time then, even more challenging now, right? It's not just like supply chain delays, it's labor shortages, it's chip shortages. Like there's a huge weird thing going on in the used car market. <laughs> My friend bought like a Honda Civic, like maybe four years ago, drove it for four years, put like 30,000 miles on it and sold it for even more. Cause this is how crazy the used car market is right now. There's no new cars. All those chips are gone. So manufacturing this, it's difficult because, you know, of course there's a labor shortage and of course, like lack of parts means means like higher bidding. So we started selling this at a hundred bucks over the course of the year. We had to raise our prices. We're just selling this at cost, right? We're not trying to make money on this. We're selling it for 200 now. It's literally double from a components perspective and from a shipping perspective. So it's been challenging, man. But, you know, we're finally at the finish line. We're mass manufacturing a couple thousand of these, and um, we're going to be delivering them to all of our backers. There's about uh, 600 or so backers of this product. You know, it's users can use it to play some games and experiment, but really exciting as a developer device. You know, the open open source firmware, open source backend. In the future, we open source the hardware as well. So anyone can manufacture this themselves and tweak it if they want. So yeah, no, it's like the next chapter of what IOSX is going to do. I'm curious to know what other people want to build with it too, because, you know, this is meant to be a new data source for blockchain. Once the data is on the blockchain, be really interesting to see what people do with it. So, yeah, because up to this point, all the data has been you know, in isolated pockets, right? You've got your Whoop, you've got your Aura, you've got your toaster that's connected to your fucking Wi Fi or whatever. No one can do anything with this data except for the companies that own it, right? Yeah. So, I think that's a natural evolution, though, right? Like, yeah. there's another app on uh, IOTEX that's doing something interesting. It's called Health Blocks, right? So, we come from this Web2 era where we don't own any of our data. And honestly, for the past decade, we didn't really give a shit if we owned it or not, right? Now we're hearing all these anecdotes about your data is valuable, your data is valuable, your data is being breached or hacked or not treated well by these corporations. So finally, people are starting to be like, okay, maybe there's some value in me custodying my data that I deem to be sensitive and or valuable, right? And in the distant future, I think that a lot of this self-custody stuff is going to take shape 
you know, but to, to get to that level, right, where we exclusively own our data, this is a very, you know, it's a nice future we can all dream about. But it, it first starts with us co-owning our data with these big tech companies, right? So that's exactly what this health blocks company is trying to do. They're building a D app on IOTechs that will grab data from your Apple Health, your Samsung Health, your Google Fit, and let you co-own your health data alongside Apple, Google, and the biggest tech companies in the world. And then you can opt into sharing this data to set your health goals, ultimately mine some health tokens, use that to have telehealth conversations. And it's really interesting. That's another example of, okay, now we have verifiable health data on chain. What are we going to do with it, right? There's so many different options across insurance, across gamification, the spectrum of serious to fun use cases applies there also, right? So it's just interesting to think about how it's going to unfold. But we really do believe that certain data needs to be exclusively owned by users you know, it started with the finances, with uh, with what cryptocurrency is about. But anything private or sensitive, you know, owning your data doesn't mean you can't share it with big tech companies. It just means you have the choice to, right? If you own your data, you can do a few things with it, right? You can keep it absolutely private. It's your property. No one knows you have it. It's yours, right? You can opt into sharing it with loved ones you trust for authorization or just like, you know, sharing purposes. Or you can sell it or, you know, use it as a trigger when you're interacting with third parties like like big tech, right? So if they want to use your data to feed their bidding algorithms and their advertising engine, then you can set your own terms with that, right? If they really, really want to know who you are, here's my data. I want something back now, right? This is a bargaining chip. But if it starts with being co-owned by them, they don't have to ask your permission to use it, right? It's baked into the terms and conditions. So yeah, that's a natural evolution of it. One piece of this that is kind of like own your data and then contribute it in ways that you're that you care about that could be interesting here. Just a riff. What if you took some sort of like health research, like a, like a genome sequencing thing, and then people could contribute their personal genomic data, anonymized of course, into this project and then own some of the upside of whatever IP gets created as a result. Yeah, exactly what you said. Right. It's um. We've been thinking about this concept as well. It's kind of a data liquidity pool, right? Yeah. It very much resembles a traditional DeFi liquidity pool where people provide tokens to provide liquidity. People will trade against that liquidity and the liquidity providers will earn a fee based on the people that use the liquidity they crowdsource, right? If you're able to crowdsource data in a standardized way, that's valuable for third parties that want to query against it, then you have a model where, you know, you're crowdsourcing these bottoms up data sets instead of these top down data sets that big tech kind of gleans from our internet history, right? That's a really interesting model. But the tricky part is like tokens are standardized, meaning we're putting these two tokens in the pool and these are the only ones that we accept, right? Data is situational and you know it's not always apples to apples right and this is where data science comes in data validation comes in these are all kind of issues in web 2 and traditional world but if we jump those steps we're dealing with crap data right, right. so it's really we have to really focus on the verifiability of it the cleanliness of it and the attractiveness of it to third parties right it's not automatically standardized like money, right? Money is meant to be fungible in a way, 
data is not data by nature is kind of non-fungible but it also has fungible characteristics right in aggregate if you're anonymizing data sets you're aggregating it it looks more like each individual contribution looks more fungible than the the, the previous one so it's an interesting one i think there's so many primitives in defi that people are just talking about like you know using for what's been going on for the one past one and a half years but I think there's just so much more innovation to be had, you know, once you replace this with this and then with that, with that, you know, you're creating brand new use cases just with these frameworks that are already kind of proven, right? So past year has been really exciting and really, really good for crypto. I think there's no turning back for crypto from here. It's definitely more legit, you know? Well, yeah, it's cool. Cause I mean, even like the, the run-up of 2017, it was a lot of speculation and people like, oh, this, this is it. And then we kind of had our, our, our long winter here at, now, now everything's re-emerging. People have actually been building this whole time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, back in 2017, I still remember it was a weird time because everyone was talking about the consensus and everyone was talking about transactions per second and plasma chains and all of these things that, you know, you think today, what does that matter? Yes, it matters. If, you know, there's only like, there's only like two handfuls of usable robust layer one blockchains right today it's very hard to come out of nowhere and build a new layer one blockchain you know unless you've been building it for the past two three years right like mina for example has been flying very under the radar but they've been building this thing for the past three years and same as definity all these new tokens that are kind of launching on layer one but it's just interesting that none of that is really talked about anymore right consensus mechanisms Yes, they're very important, but people are thinking about layer two now, right? We have these platforms that some can argue they're interchangeable, some are non-interchangeable, right? But most layer ones out there are cheaper, faster, more decentralized than Ethereum today. What I what we think about IOTEX's lot is okay, when Ethereum 2.0 makes it so that not every other competing blockchain is cheaper, faster, more decentralized. Where do you stand in that future state, right? And without a niche or without like a very vibrant developer and community base, then a lot of that liquidity is going to get sucked out of your blockchain just as fast as it went in, right? So IOTEX, we know we have to differentiate and we have this layer one blockchain that can do everything the other platforms can do, literally, you know, DeFi, gaming, you know, we're EVM compatible, we can run any contract uh, out there. But we also have this IoT middleware that we've been building for the past three years. And it's always been our vision to connect that middleware to our layer one blockchain to this kind of concept of all these devices out there, right? We just happen to have a layer one blockchain, but have a full stack on top of it, right? So that's what's going to keep IoTex relevant for however long, you know? And I think just carving out that niche being the IOT plus EVM hub for the future, it's already a big enough prize. Do you know what I mean? So we just have to do that well. Yeah. And do it the best. And I think we're already kind of uh, on that, on that route. It is an interesting question that not a lot of people seem to be discussing, which is like, what happens when ETH 2.0 goes live? Like, I mean, assuming like that it goes live without challenges, right? How wild would that be if, you know, it just gets botched? Like what happens then, right? Because everyone's like, okay, cool. This is coming. This will be great. Yeah, it's almost like a given, right? Like Serenity is, uh, you know, is never not going to happen. I just think Ethereum is such a fascinating 
project, right? Because they've kind of decentralized their governance from the start. And having EIP 1559 go through with those heavy debates from the miners versus the foundation versus developers versus the users, what a coordination game that is, right? Like if you're like a MakerDAO or you're like a DEX where your governance decisions are about, should I increase this collateral rate ratio or should I you know, should we increase the interest rate for these things? Those governance decisions are very easy. Again, because they're more standardized, right? If you have a layer one where the proposal can be anything, then you know people will start to come up with some really crazy proposals that people will take very, very seriously, right? So I think that Ethereum's ability to you know, push forward these grand proposals and drive towards ETH 2.0, it's already proof enough for me that they'll be fine. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, we're, we're trying to start that within IOTEX as well. It's not easy. It's, you know, it's kind of a, it's a coordination game, right? It's getting people involved. It's more like of an art than a science. You know, it's about real community building. Like if you don't have people that trust you, they're not going to participate in your governance and debate topics and take time out of their day to do this. So very admirable what like Ethereum has been able to do in that respect. I think I can't really speak to the tech that much because I'm not a you know hardcore dev, but I think uh, I think they're going to make it for sure. Yeah, I think it speaks to the broader ecosystem. Like everyone's excited to build something new, something better than what exists. And like whether it's insert the layer one or the layer two, like technologies, like we're all kind of part of the same like fight, which is counter to the existing institutions. I think that's that's what's exciting to see is like all the talent, all the like interest, all the all the motivation that's coming out of this ecosystem. One thing just that caught my my attention was it was like Ryan Selkis from uh, Masari. He had some comment about actually getting involved in politics. He's like, we can't like we have to fucking fight for this because these incompetent bureaucrats are going to ruin this thing we built. And like, yeah, they're going to come in. What state does he live in? That's a good question. I, I saw he was running for Senate, right? 2022 or 24? I think he's targeting Senate 24. Cycle? Okay. Even like some other pretty prominent figures, like the COO of Teal Capital. I mean, he's a hardcore Republican, but he's running for Senate in uh, in Arizona, right? So you see a lot more. Uh, I'm not sure if this is a perfect thing that, you know, a lot of Twitter posters are not, not saying Ryan and, and that guy and Teal Capital CEO or Twitter posters only, but, you know, they have a very powerful voice on social. It's interesting to see how that's going to translate to elections. Like, it's kind of like, you know, Andrew Yang. I, I don't know if you followed his campaign, but like, I think he was a little overactive on social media during his New York mayor run, right? I don't know. Um, there's a lot of reasons why he didn't kind of uh, get the results he, he wanted, but... Um, It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting. You know, the most vocal people um, sometimes rub people the wrong way too. Yeah. But I think the, in the case of uh, it's, it's Blake Masters, who's the Tokyo mm-hmm. capital running for Arizona. In, in his case, like, you know, New York is a pretty competitive place and the idea of a, an upstart guy coming in to become the mayor probably didn't resonate with a lot of the non tech crowd. Uh, but in a place like Arizona, all the people that Blake is kind of trying to get votes from, they're not on Twitter, right? So I don't think there's this false sense of security that, oh, I've got a ton of support backing me because the Twitter followers, you know, 
Andrew Yang in New York, a lot of his sort of followers are probably you know, active online in New York to create this kind of like information bubble. But in Arizona, I don't think that's the case. Like I know three to five people in this, like, who are, you know, building the future, like who are based in Arizona and that's it. Everyone else is like LA, San Francisco, New York, Miami, you know, a couple other cities. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's interesting. It's interesting that that intersection of politics. I mean, I've been following the SEC stuff pretty closely. Yeah, I feel like it's just, you know, setting a hard line, right? Like people are so shocked when Gensler says anything bad about crypto, but, you know, it's negotiation tactics, right? If you're trying to get somewhere in the middle, you go here and then ease this way, right? It's not just like, okay, yeah, you know, I'm going to give you the... <laughs> so I think to to Ryan's points, uh, what he's been saying on, on online, we, ask, we also have to take that stance, right? And meet and converge somewhere in the middle. I think that the U.S. understands much, much better that crypto is a huge opportunity, not only to generate tons of tax revenue, but just to foster innovation in this kind of thing, right? The, the biggest thing they don't want to lose is significance of the US dollar. But I think that you can solve around that. You know, stable coins are going to get hit, I think, pretty hard by the, by the government in replacement of maybe their own CBDC, right? But this is all, this is all to, be, to be determined. We'll see. I think China's like almost more formal ban this time around, right? You see, I think the, the centralized exchanges in China at least are pulling out, right? And miners are pulling out. It seems to be more real this time, right? It's not like the same China who cried ban Bitcoin type of thing over and over in the past where nothing happened. This time they're actually taking some pretty serious action. So we'll see how that affects the US's motivation to, you know, be this global power within blockchain i don't know we'll see i'm curious like I, you're the most recent crypto person i have spoken with since this kind of china ban what do you think the implications are for around this like how does this actually shape and affect the space broadly as well as kind of u.s u.s policy i mean it's different for people in china outside of china right like i think it's incredibly bullish for people outside of china right there's always a lot of people that says Maybe it was Peter Thiel that said this, right? He said that anything China bans, I'm investing deeply into, right? And crypto is one of those things. I think within China, you know, it, it's not like a, it's not really like North Korea status where, you know, you have no ability to access this stuff. They make it difficult, but, you know, VPN and all this stuff is available. And p- if people want to buy and buy crypto and, you know, custody it themselves. And, you know, there's ways to do that for sure, right? We have a pretty, sizable Chinese community, but it's very, very detached from, you know, the English and even international communities, kind of its own world in a way. I don't know. You know, we'll, th- this goes back to like the, where, where is China going to end up in the grand scheme of things in the next 10, 20 years as they kind of charge forward towards your like 2050 plan. Right. But you can tell they're trying to remove like any forms of like big celebrity or big like wealth in the form of Jack Ma and some of these celebrities that are speaking out and try to create more of a flatter structure, huge middle class and big workforce. I mean, you can never doubt China's like position as a a superpower, but it'll be interesting to see how that translates into like the openness of information. Going back to what we started this discussion about, right? Like who do you trust and why do you trust? in America and other democratic places, that is becoming more of like a 
consensus crowd decision, right? Like what is true is not a single entity telling us that anymore. It's almost like the collective know-how. It's dangerous because like, you know, there's two sides to every truth, right? Depends on what information sphere you subscribe to. Right, right. But at least that you have this decision to join any information sphere and subscribe to those perspectives. Whereas in China, you're not, right? You can't decide things for yourself. It's kind of told to you. And this really resembles, I think, like another thing we're talking about, which is governance of these blockchains, right? You have a single entity making all the decisions in a logical way that's, you know, they want the best for their collective societies, then you're going to move like this, lightning fast, right? Versus Ethereum is kind of like this democracy with, you know, not just a hundred senators, but like anyone can make a proposal and vote, right? Or anyone can be a validator. Then you have to move slowly and talk about nitty, nitty, nitty gritty details. And it's, it's interesting to see how that is going to play out both in these blockchains, which could become nation state sized entities very soon. You know what I mean? So yeah, it would be interesting if people that associate their identity is not with a geography anymore, but it's with like, like online communities, online yeah. tribe. Yeah. It's not out of the question. People, I say that to some people and they're like, you have gone too deep, dude. I'm like, no, talk to me in like three to four years. You're going to see a lot of these people like self-identifying. I think people underestimate the amount of bored adults in the world. You know what I mean? And then we have the tools to, we have the, like, this is the other benefit of the internet. We have the tools to kind of coordinate and like find these other communities, find the, these information streams. And then now we're starting to have the tools to kind of collectively trust and make decisions and exchange information and, you know, coordinate. Exactly. And then, you know, with tools like, you know, there's all these city building projects and it was like, oh, cool. I'm going to pick up and, and move this place with these other people. And the, the, the entire world is restructured around some of these things. So it's, I don't know, man, it's, it's the fucking most exciting time to be alive. Just like as all this is playing out and anyone who, like I can't get on board with this, like, oh, everything's going to hell. It's like we have the opportunity to build something new and better. Like this kind of structural decay of these challenges are, are opportunities. So like, let's get let's get to fucking work. Yeah, I think so, too, man. I think so, too. It's just it's still very early. You know, a lot of people are asking, like, hey, it's is too late to get into crypto. Right. I'm like, you know, there's I just don't think there is a time where that would be true. Maybe getting into new pillars of crypto or blockchain like you know you're going to try to build a brand new layer one it's going to be hard right because those tribes are fixed now in the, in the higher in the pyramid of stacks where you have layer ones then you have your amms like sushi and uniswap it's gonna be hard to build another sushi or uniswap too right like unless you have big first mover advantage like quickswap had on polygon then you can kind of capture some liquidity but like as soon, that's going to be a very rigid structure too. Then what's the next layer? Then what's the next layer? These kind of full stack things, I think, are are progressing and it's just going upwards. It's very hard to topple the, the foundation of the pyramid and create your own pyramid on top of it, right? So to that end, I think that we're still very early. There's a lot more stacks of the pyramid to be built. But yeah, I agree. I know I've never been more, uh, I've never had more fun being in crypto right now. Maybe it's the NFT stuff that makes it... <laughs> Uh, fun or like just stuff to do right like we didn't have stuff to do like a year ago the only thing we could do is like you know speculate into you know very high risky yield farms and pray that we get some money out of it but now 
the applications are coming, man. I think it's just a fun time to be in crypto now. Absolutely. Where can people find you? Calls to action. How can they get involved in uh, IOTEX? A few calls to action. Follow me on Twitter at Larry Pang. Check out Pebble Tracker selling right now on Crowd Supply. You still have time to order it. Shipping probably hopefully end of October. And learn more about IOTEX. Just go to our website, IOTEX.io. If you have any questions, you know, shoot me a message on, on Telegram. I'll be happy to respond. But, you know, it's nice just, you know, starting in the morning, shooting the shit about crypto. So thanks for having me on, Cam. Oh, yeah, you bet, Larry. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Build the Future podcast. If you want to support the show, please share your favorite episode with a friend. And if you want to get updates on the events we're hosting, new podcast episodes, and follow along as we build the new World's Fair, you can follow me on Twitter at C-A-M-W-I-E-S-E. Until next time, go build.